I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Today, I want to welcome Liz Wolf. She is a business coach, author, and speaker who coaches entrepreneurs. She helps them get unstuck so they can launch and grow an abundant business. As a matter of fact, abundance is at her core in all that she does. She's got her entrepreneurial start growing up on a sheep farm in Western Pennsylvania with her mother and two sisters. And later she moved to New York City where she created a successful computer consulting business with her husband. We're going to talk more about that. Her husband's name is John. And eventually she transitioned out of the technology business to coaching business owners to develop an abundance mindset. And recently she published a book, the power of asking how your re- how your reluctance to ask put your risk business at risk. Liz, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Craig. So we got so much to cover here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. But I I feel like I'd be missing something if we didn't start with, with a sheep farm. What was that like growing up on a sheep farm? Well, um, they're very fluffy and very cute until they run away from you when you need them to be going in one direction and they're going in the other direction. Then they're not as fluffy or cute. And uh, they die sometimes and they get out and uh, there's we had 300 of them. So as you can imagine, there were there were occasional problems, but I know all about sheep and uh, it, it was the birthplace literally of my entrepreneurial start because we created a cottage industry selling sheepskin and wool items. And so I've been speaking in front of groups of people since I was about eight years old, selling them wool products. <laughs> For that, I thank my mother. That's cool. Yeah. Now, aren't they stinky? Like if you get 300 of them together, don't they stink a little bit? Uh, you know, that's interesting that you say that. You know, p- people think pigs are very stinky and all that. The Where the stinkiness comes in is, is when you, oops, when you, um, where the stickiness comes in is when you crowd them too much together, right? If you don't give them enough freedom and enough space to be outside and be going where they need to go so that they, you know, animals are naturally clean. So it isn't, the stinkiness is when you cram them all together and you don't take care of them. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about predators? I mean, so I, I I would imagine you have coyotes out in Western Pennsylvania. Actually, no, we didn't have coyotes. The worst predators were stray dogs. Really? We had a number of like dogs that would form packs and they would come in and, and that, that was part of the, the fence that, you know, if the fence was broken or something, um, we actually occasionally had people who would steal sheep too. <laughs> 
kind of, you know, we would go and we'd see where they would had killed the sheep and, you know, they took it to eat, you know, they took off the skin and left it behind. I mean, it was, it's kind of weird, but uh, mostly not, mostly the, the things that were the most challenging, what would naturally occur where, you know, you're in birthing season and your sheep, you know, the lamb might die from or the mother might die or the mother might abandon it. We had a lot of orphan lambs in our house. Oh, that was like other people had cats and dogs in their house. We had a lot of lambs and, you know, the great chink chink on the kitchen floor. It's kind of. Oh, so, that's so they were actually inside. Oh, yeah, because you had to keep them warm. And I mean, sometimes we had them in the barn, but then, you know, when they're in, when they're two hours old, you need to do something with them. You need we put them by the little fireplace heater and bottle fed them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did that make did that make it hard when you eventually had to say goodbye to them? Yeah, a lot of people would say, "Oh, how could you kill those poor little, you know, those cute little sweet animals?" And I, I'm not kidding when I tell you that it's a different kind of affection. It's not you're not treating your animals like pets. We did occasionally have, you know, let's say an orphan lamb or something that. But mostly you're just trying to keep them alive because it was your livelihood. And so you it was it was just part of what you did is you raised them to a certain time and then you you either could sell them or, just, you know, take them to the slaughterhouse or whatever it was. And and we we sold the lamb meat. I I ate a lot of lamb growing up. Um, but I also ate other things too. I'm not a big beef eater now because I get a lot of beef because you kill a cow. That's a lot of meat. <laughs> but it, it's a different kind of affection. Obviously, you're taking care of your animals, but it's because it's your livelihood. Yeah. It's not a pet that you, you know, jumps up on your lap and anything like that. It's a different kind yeah. of experience. Yeah, down here in Texas, if you see sheep in the field, if you look around, you'll eventually see a donkey. And the donkey is there to run off the coyotes. Because apparently donkeys hate coyotes and know how to deal with them. That's interesting. Well, we actually, out of out of the fact that we had had a few attacks, there's a sheep dog. It's an Anatolian dog that's actually from Turkey. And what their job is, is to guard the sheep, not herd the sheep, which is a totally different animal. And once we got, her name was April, once we got April, it was actually a program through a college. I want to say Smith, I'm not sure. And this was a while ago. And they, they gave you, it was like you had the dog on loan and they, and it just naturally, instinctively would guard. And we never had any problems after that. She was the most, most faithful dog ever. And she's stayed with the sheep and wow protected. that's cool yeah but we I, we didn't have a donkey <clears throat> i didn't know about donkeys yeah well if you have if you have coyote problems they're good for that yeah good to know for future and i will not have a sheep farm in my future so i'm not i'm, I'm going to store that as interesting information but not useful information so so you you were telling me so you go from sheep farm to you and your husband john they had you had a consulting business for CRMs. And what's that mean? You know, what would y'all do for people? Yeah. So we sell and implement a software program called Maximizer. It's for small to medium sized businesses to help you manage your sales process. 
And it's a well-established company that um, Maximizers created in Vancouver, developed in Vancouver. So we are resellers of that software. And that is what we have been doing. We established the business in 1995. And I actually got my husband to quit his job. He was selling. I was already training. I was like, I was the front of the room person. He was the back end person selling. Uh, technical, he would do the installations and that sort of thing. This is at a time when you went into people's offices and installed software. It was like before the cloud. And so we helped people with their process, with their business process, converting, creating systems, which is what he still does to this day, creating systems from your scattered processes that you do potentially on paper or spreadsheets and put them into a system that implements, it gives you, brings together your salespeople and your marketing teams and your executive team and, and everything so that everybody knows what's happening. And of course it helps you with sales. You know, and I think, you know, so many challenges in business are quickly overcome if you just have systems and processes so that, that people, you know, it just, uh, was it G.K. Chesterton that I said, I believe said the problem with communication is the illusion that has occurred. And these systems, you know, they basically facilitate natural communication. Yes, it's all about communication. It's absolutely about a communication. I mean, if I'm and we, we use Maximizer internally, of course, I mean, even between John and I it may sound funny to some people, but, you know, we're married. And then I'll say, hey, honey, I'm going out to a bluegrass jam tonight. And he says, what? And I say, it's on the calendar. You know, you don't check the calendar. And then I leave with my little guitar and I go do my thing. Now, did I bring it to his attention? Probably not. But he's going to check the calendar any, at any time. So, yeah, that's all about communication for sure. Yeah. So at some point, so you and John were doing this together. And at some point, you decided you wanted to do something different. So what, what was that and how long ago was that? About 10 years ago. So I've, I've done a lot of what you would call personal development work in my life. Um, even before I met John, I had done a variety of leadership trainings and a, a variety of, of, let's say, personal development type work. So very interested in that. And so that's always been a theme through all of the work that I've done has always been this bringing forth principles of abundance and how you can apply that in your business. So when, and for some people listening, this may be sound kind of like what, but there was a time when learning Excel was truly professionally impactful because people did not know how to use Excel or, or applying a CRM. It reminds me of a, a story I read about a veterinarian who lived in the early part of the 20th century when penicillin was just being starting to be used and he would go to these farms and he would administer penicillin to the sick animals and the next day they would be better it was that impactful and that's really what crm was to in the 90s it was really that impactful now you know you, everybody's there's always stuff you can use like monday.com or salesforce or whatever so there's a lot more of it but at that time it was very very impactful but i got tired of the technology it just wasn't it was interesting at first and then it became not interesting and i think this is something that a lot of times entrepreneurs or business owners is a struggle that they have which is 
I'm doing this for 10 years or 20 years and now I'm kind of done and I want to do something else. And so I decided I had only an interest in coaching entrepreneurs in how to be successful in their business. I, I knew that technology would be a part of that, but I didn't want to make that be the main point of it. So I decided to start coaching people instead. So you have this business that you and John had started together and now you're you're about to tell John I want to go do something different. Yeah. Not How did that feel? Yeah, not only did I tell him that, but of course it cost money because I was going to make less money at first because I already had this established business and also, you know, you I did a variety of trainings and, you know, every, I always like to tell my clients, I took the $10,000 training, so you don't have to. And so, you know, there's all those $10,000 programs everybody's buying because you, you want to get certified, whatever. Uh, but the, it was very stressful and they're making kind of extracting myself from it. And one of the things that I sometimes share about that is because my parents bought that sheep farm together, but within three years, they were divorced and my father had moved back to Pittsburgh. So the farm was my mother's idea. It was not my father's idea. His idea was, oh, we'll have a lovely country home. And it's pretty close to Pittsburgh. He was an engineer. He could drive into work. You know, to, to us, the commute would be nothing, right? And um, in the world we live in today. And as a result, they got divorced. So the fear that was instilled in me from a very young age is, oh, Liz, if you go off and do something creative and interesting that you enjoy, you're putting your marriage at risk. And I very clearly wanted to be married. So it, I had to overcome the fear that if I extracted myself from this business, that it would be harmful to our relationship. And that was a very difficult time because there was some harm to the relationship and that I wasn't helping. I wasn't doing it anymore. I wasn't making as much money. I wasn't at that time. I I wasn't answering the phone. I was being indignant about what I wanted to do. And he was just like, why don't you just keep doing what you're doing? And I was like, because I don't want to. And it was, it was hard, but we worked through it. Wow. Did John know that those churnings, you know, that some of this was replay of what you saw your mom and dad go through? Yeah, I don't think I really realized that in the in moment. And he has a very different history of, well, he didn't grow up on a farm. He grew up in Queens, New York. Okay, that's the first thing. And both of his parents are single or only children. So he doesn't have a lot of family dynamics the way I did with my aunts and uncles and people getting divorced and all that. He doesn't it's not part of his experience. And he's also a very steadfast person. Yeah. He he sticks with something. He's somebody, he's an he's what he is known as an upholder, right? He says he's gonna do something, he does it. I say I'm gonna do something, I, I'm gonna do it, but I also want to do these six other things. Please. Yeah. Well, so what what advice would you give to somebody who um you know if you had a friend who was kind of at the same crossroads that you were at that, you know, they, <clears throat> they're about to, to make that choice. How would you help them navigate that today in their life? The reason we don't do things is fear. That's the number one reason we don't do it. And the biggest fear we have is that it's not going to work out, that you're going to fit that, that 
I'm going to fail. And what does that mean? I am a failure. I, I help, I coach a lot of people who have started a few businesses unsuccessfully. When I, when I say unsuccessfully, they don't look at it like it was an economic success or it wasn't. And then they have a new idea. Entrepreneurs are very creative people. So they have a lot of ideas. So fear is the biggest thing that's going to hold you back. But most of us are listening to that fear as a rational voice in our head. So what we don't do is we don't, coaching is all about making distinctions. That's what coaching is. In case anybody has a question, what is coaching list? It's all about making distinctions. So by distinctions, what I mean is, well, let's listen to this voice. Let's listen to the fear voice. What are the conversations? One distinction you can make is the distinction between I have results. I am not my results. So I have, let's say, not made the sales I want this month, but that does not mean I am not a bad salesman, or does that that does not mean I am a failure. So we're separating those fear conversations so that people can be more empowered to take action. Because when you're in a space of fear, you don't take action. If you're afraid, it's not going to work out. That's the biggest fear everybody has, not going to work out. Yeah. So... Um, how do you navigate that? I mean, if, I mean, cause we all have that fear at some level and I guess some people are afraid it's not going to work out and they go ahead and give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Other people are afraid it's not going to work out and they say, because it's not going to work out, I'm not going to try. Right. So how do you, how do you coach people through that? What, what advice would you give? Well, first of all, to get a coach, you knew I was going to say that. Uh, You need someone in your life who unequivocally believes that you're going to succeed in it. I am detached. I don't have the same fears that my clients have about their business. Uh, For instance, I have a woman who started a publishing. She's doing self-publishing as part of her business. Fascinating industry. And there, I know for a fact that a lot of people are very successful doing that. Why would it be different for her? She's very, she could be just as successful as, as they are. So the, if, if there's ample evidence, we're always looking for evidence to show, okay, who is it working for? And that's as much as I really don't like doing it. That's what market research is all about. People, you find out whether or not people are interested in it. You talk to people. You don't go into it going, all right, let me just try it. Even though that's extra work, most people don't want to do it. So you find somebody that's supporting you and that person, and it could be a mentor, it could be a coach, it could be your sister, it could be anybody. But who it should not be is people who go, well, I don't know. I don't know. That entrepreneur stuff. Why don't you just go get a job? Like If you hear, you only want to talk to people that are going to support you. Yeah. And and then the second part of that, which is the work that we do, is making those distinctions where you are. Uh, I it's you, you look at the fear anytime you're not doing something, I'm going to tell you why you're not doing it. You have resistance. That's the it's not because you're lazy. It's not because you're procrastinating. It's not because you never really blah, blah, blah. it's not all those stories. You're resisting something. 
And if you can ask yourself the question, what am I resisting? When you find yourself stuck or not wanting to do something, there's always an answer there. And that's the first place that I would always start with somebody just to find out, well, what are you resisting? Because that's where the, the fear is about not having to face whatever that thing you're, you're resisting. Yeah. You know, and you said something really interesting there about the and people speaking into your life. The, the fact is most people aren't entrepreneurs. Most people don't get it. Most people would rather work in a, you know, work in a business that's predictable, delivers that paycheck. They got their health benefits. They got that the, the predictability. For most people, that's their comfort zone. And what you're saying is don't go to the don't go to those people for your support. Don't go to them for your support. Uh, I am a mother, so I'm going to say this, my, even though you know, I'm going to say, don't talk to your mom. Okay, talk to your mom. But I'm saying your mom wants to keep you safe. Everybody wants to keep you safe. They don't want you to take risks. They don't want you to try again. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to that literally do not tell anyone but me that they're working on a business because they're afraid that because they've tried other ones and they weren't successful and they were public about those, that people are going to think badly of them. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, that's a damn shame, to be honest. That's a real shame because you don't feel free. How, how free can you be to express yourself and get out there in the world if you, if you can't be public about it? So there's some shame sometimes associated with that failure in business. Uh, but yeah, you want... I, I actually think you should talk to your friends and family if they support you. That's great. But don't get business advice from them. They're not business people. Talk to business people. Talk to other people. Again, whether it's whether it's a business coach or there's like mastermind groups. Um, I have an accountability partner that I talk to like every two weeks and we trust each other. So I I can rely on her to give me accurate feedback. But even even then, I have to go with what is true for me. Yeah. Well, and I think if, if people don't walk away with anything other than that, it's the importance of being very selective about who you let speak into your, your business. And the fact that the vast majority of people out there think you're nuts. I <laughs> would never do it, even though they want to sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been such an, uh, such a great conversation. Uh, your book is The Power of Asking, How Your Reluctance to Ask Puts Your Business at Risk. And so obviously people should go out and read that. How do people reach you? So first of all, my last name is Wolf, which we didn't notice the joke that my last name is Wolf and I grew up on a sheep farm. So that's how you can remember it. But it does have an E at the end of it. So it's LizWolfCoaching.com. And speaking of all this conversation that we had about, you know, do I have what it takes to be successful at business, which is the which is really the undercurrent of all these fears. Like, do I have what it takes? So I have a quiz that you can take, anyone can take. So LizWolfCoaching forward slash quiz and or dot com forward slash quiz. And 
it's it tells you what type of an entrepreneur you are. And then I'll give you some feedback about the pluses and minuses of your style. The chief enthusiasm officer, the chief expert officer, the chief empowerment officer, or the chief uh, excellence officer. So those, if you, once you find where you fall in that, it helps you to understand why you would get stuck at certain points. So that's where I recommend as a free resource for people to to access. And of course, I do have a book list on my website where you can look at my book. Well, Liz, thank you for coming on Layers and Legacies today. What a great conversation. Yes. Thank you so much, Craig. I appreciate it. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.